Little honey bees flying around, little green peas from the ground, buttermilk biscuits nice and brown. Bring it to Tennessee farm table, butter beans, peas, beets and chard, chickens running in the yard, catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop in black gang candy stripes. Look at 'em loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee Farm Table. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that is dedicated to the people of the state of Tennessee who produce, prepare, and preserve food and agriculture, often with that Mountain South Appalachian flair. And on occasion, I just might have a guest from our neighbors from surrounding states here in the Southeast. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. The theme song that you just heard was sung and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that is dedicated to the people of the state of Tennessee who produce, prepare, and preserve food and agriculture, often with that Mountain South Appalachian flair. And on occasion, I just might have a guest from our neighbors from surrounding states here in the Southeast. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. The theme song that you just heard was sung and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. Today, we are setting the table with winter squash, specifically the Kushaw. You've most likely seen it as a fall decoration. It's generally big, around 20 pounds, white in color with green striping, sometimes orange with a crook neck. And my guest today is Knoxville native, seed saver, artist, and farmer, John Koikendall. John will share with us the origins and culinary uses of the squash. I'll also share a recipe with you for baked kushaw. This is courtesy of Mrs. Cornelia Weldon, who is the mother of Sarah Weldon Hackenberg, who took many of the photos for John's book, Preserving Our Roots, My Journey to Save Seeds and Stories. Our food writing friend and neighbor and professor of Appalachian Studies, Fred Sossman, will share a segment on the Kushaw along with a recipe for Kushaw custard. Thank you so much for your good company here today at our Tennessee table. I really appreciate you tuning in, either by the podcast or radio. Thanks for pulling up a chair, and let's dig into this John Koikendall business. John Koikendall is a Tennessee treasure with over four decades of seed and story saving. He's filled hundreds of journals over the years with drawings of people and places that he's encountered in rural farming communities from around the world, all while saving heirloom seed and the cultural knowledge of how to grow them 
with a great deal of stories and seed from his annual pilgrimage since the year of 1973 to Washington Parish, Louisiana. John was born and raised in Knoxville, Tennessee, where he makes his home. He works as a master gardener at a prestigious Relay and Chateau nestled in the foothills of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. In his daily life and friendships, he's always sharing heirloom seed, collecting the stories of the families who've collected and saved seed, and chronicling his discoveries for generations to come. In John's book, Preserving Our Roots, My Journey to Save Seed and Stories, which was written by Christina Melton and John, published in 2019, he shares a wealth of materials from his journals, photographs, and over 40 recipes and stories of the seed and families who've saved them and have hosted him in rural Washington, Paris, Louisiana since 1973. Like we say around here, John is a Tennessee treasure. So let's join with John and dig into this Kushaw topic right now. John, when did you first learn about Kushaw? Probably the mid to late 50s. And my grandfather had those up on his farm. They would plant those with the corn. Kentucky field pumpkins, which are the tan pumpkins. And the Kushaws along with them. Sometimes they'd have them at the edges of the field or scattered out through the rows in the corn field itself. My goodness. And then those are ready for harvest late summer and early fall. A lot of people don't even know what a kushaw is. And can you describe the physical characteristics of the, of the kushaw? Well, the kushaw is a member of the squash family. And they can weigh, oh, 20, 25 pounds, some of the really bigger ones. But they're curved in shape. And they're the real ideal ones, I remember at the fair, Mr. Alvin Rutledge, who always judged the Tennessee Valley Fair, he looked for that nice curve that you got in the Kushaw. It would come around almost uh, meeting the bulb end of it. Wow. Now they're light uh, white in color with green striping. Some of them I've seen are gigantic. Are they all big like that? They can be. Mm-hmm. People who have uh, selected for size save the seed out of that year after year. They keep selecting for the very best ones. So you'll, you'll get that. Then there, there's some smaller ones too. Mm-hmm. So they'll vary. And there's also the orange Kushaw. It has orange striping on it. But the most predominant one is, is the green stripe. Do you know the origin of the seed? Kushaws came to America in 1700 from the Caribbean. I'm not sure which island or islands. But they quickly became a favorite in the Southland, grown all over the South on farms, and in the mid-Atlantic states, and I think later in other states as well. People, you know, throw their stuff out by the side of the road, and some people just use Kushaw for decor. And um, by the side of the road in Maryville, I passed about through two or three times this gigantic Kushaw that was thrown out. And did I, you rescue it? I did. I totally did. <laughs> I'm proud of you. Thank you. Big old, big seed. And um, I didn't grow them this year. But, but you I, still got the seed from that. Mm-hmm. 
put it in the freezer for a while. Wonderful. Yeah. Then um, good seed. Great big old thing. I've never seen such a kushan. So you got a good strain of that. Must be. When we talk about strains, we're talking about any of the variety, any of the types would be a kushan if that's the variety we're talking about. But there's many, many shapes and sizes. And that was a, that's a strain of it. Someone's obviously selected over the years. And then that has been passed down. So they've gotten a larger one. They've got it for weight, size, culinary value. They've taken a lot of things into consideration. You see, these things wouldn't be with us. If they weren't good to start with, they wouldn't even have survived the test of time. That is so true. Wouldn't be worth fooling with if not. No, they'd be lost. But you mentioned a minute ago that a lot of things like that today are, are decorations. Wouldn't consider cooking it, wouldn't know how to probably. Right. So it, it sits out on the front stoop for a while, along with the orange pumpkins, which brought down before Halloween. They're useless as far as a culinary pumpkin goes. It's the old Kentucky field types. I've had some last well over a year. My goodness. In storage. And I've heard that the... Cherokee or the Native American pronunciation is Kushaw. Have you heard people pronounce them different ways? When you get out in the country, folks have different ways of pronouncing an awful lot of things. So that can vary. It's just like dialect. It's English, but it sounds totally different depending on the area you're in. It's really fun to say Kushaw. Kushaw is a good name, good word for it. And does it grow up north, just south? Where, where, all, where it, in the country can it be grown? It could be grown almost anywhere. I sent seed of it to an Indian reservation in Oglala, South Dakota, one year when they were looking for seeds for the Indians to grow out there on that reservation. I sent flat tan field pumpkins, the kushaw, and beans, a number of other varieties. Mm-mm. So it will grow just about anywhere. So you sent seeds, so do you save your particular kushaw you like to grow from year to year? I do, save it from year to year. And always select from the very best specimens. Mm -hmm. That could be for size, shape, color, weight, many different factors. Well, where did you get your seed? I got that from a farmer years and years ago. I can't remember his name now, but that was passed down by an older gentleman years ago. Are all kushaws an heirloom variety, or have they hybridized kushaw seed? Not to my knowledge. They all date back to the original. Oh. Or as the old folks say, they're branch kin to it anyway. I love how you save seed, John. Tell me why you save it. Well, it's so important. We went through a long period of time where we forgot about the old seeds and the old varieties. Modern agriculture came in. Your small farms began to disappear. People were leaving the farms, moving to cities. So a lot of those things fell by the wayside. When the old ones started to die out, there wasn't anybody left to, to carry that on. Luckily, however, there were a number that did especially in your Appalachian region. The Appalachian region is more diverse as far as seed saving, seeds available than anywhere in the country, by far. So old varieties like that have 
persevered and been handed down to us. I love how you save seed. It's so important. And also what you call story banking. Can you tell us what story banking means? <clears throat> That's referred to as memory banking. I'll give you a good example. I'm going to say I come to you and you've got this kushaw that we've been talking about. You've had that seed and it's been handed down for 150 years. I come to you, I want to know your name, some of your family history, where did this seed come from, how was it grown, how was it used, anything from recipes, how was it stored, anything at all that relates to that, and some history too. Very often there's some interesting history that go with the seeds that we save. And so that uh, you're passing on that story. Otherwise, what would you say? Well, here's some Kushaw seeds. Then I'd say, yeah, I see that. What else you got to offer? In other words, I haven't given you anything you can take away with you, something that brings that to life. It's like meeting a person. Well, there's that person in front of you. But until you really sit down and begin to know their history, who they are, then that's when the real story unfolds. So true. It is. Do you and Ashley cook with Kushaw here at your house? We have, yes. Well, first of all, if you've got a great big Kushaw, how do you break it down to cook with it? The best way I've discovered over the years, and it's the easiest, simplest, to avoid all that painstaking peeling, which can be dangerous with a sharp knife, what I do is cut that in half. Scoop out all your seed and pulp out of the bulb end of it. Put that on a large baking sheet or a baking pan in the oven and fill that with as much water as you can in that and then bake that over about 200 degrees. You don't want to brown it, you just want to soften that flesh up. When that starts to collapse, then you can scoop all that meat material out of it so you don't have to go through all that step of painstakingly peeling it. They were had so many uses. They're good just stewed down with some brown sugar or honey, cooked down like that. Of course, for pies, they were prevalent. They, they were used that an awful lot. Now, for winter use, you know, in the early days, before the days of refrigeration or canning, what they did was they would cut that in rings, or in the case of a kushaw, you'd chop that in wheels, like about two inches wide. And then you would uh, string that up and hang them in the rafters to dry so that past the time when the kushaw was still fresh for fresh use, you could have that later in the season until the following year. Just about everything they grew in the old days had to be a 365-day year of crop in some form. In other words, fresh, dried, canned, stored in the root cellar. And of course we evolved too, coming along through the years. But in the early days, they didn't have all those luxuries. We're going back to the late 1700s, early 1800s. They had to dry a lot of things. That is so interesting. Now the pumpkin was the same way. What they would do is cut the top off, then they would take a sharp knife and cut that in rings all the way around that pumpkin. So it was like an accordion, you could, you could pull it out and then they would put those on big sticks and hang them in the rafters and those would dry and they could reconstitute those. 
I did not know they did that. Yeah, that was that was done quite prevalent. Of course, today we would have no need to do that, but it's interesting history. It is interesting it's... part of the history history and heritage that goes along with that. Absolutely. You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and we've just heard from Knoxville native seed saver artist and farmer John Koikendall on the topic of Kushaw squash. Up next, I'd like to share with you a recipe for baked Kushaw. This recipe comes from John Koikendall and Christina Milton's book, and it's courtesy of Mrs. Cornelia Weldon, who is the mother of Sarah Weldon Hackenberg, who took many of the photos for John and Christina's book, Preserving Our Roots, My Journey to Save Seed and Stories. And I've included links to John's book and a way to get in touch with him. Also, this upcoming recipe and Fred's recipe at my website, TennesseeFarmTable.com. All right, this recipe for baked squash, again from John Koikendall's book. These are the tools that you'll need. A vegetable peeler, and a three-quart shallow baking dish. And if you do this on the stovetop, you'll need a big pot to cook your squash down in. Here are the ingredients that you will need. One medium kushaw, two cups of sugar, and John's always talking about how he likes brown sugar, one-fourth pound or one stick of butter melted, two large eggs, two tablespoons all-purpose flour, one teaspoon vanilla extract, one-half teaspoon baking powder. Peel the couchant, cut into quarters, and scoop out the seeds. Cut the flesh into pieces and boil until tender. Preheat oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. Mash cooked couchant and mix with remaining ingredients. Place this mixture in a three-quart shallow baking dish and bake one hour and serve warm. And again, a side note, if you want to avoid all that painstaking peeling of this huge squash, which is a real big job, especially if you've got tennis elbow, cut that squash lengthwise and scoop out the seeds. But of course, save those seeds because you're going to want to plant some next year, right? Put both halves face down on a baking pan. Put them in the oven and then add water as much as you can to the baking pan. You'll probably need two baking pans. You'll want to bake this at 200 degrees in an oven that's not real hot. You want it to, you know, cook kind of slow. And when it collapses, you take it out of the oven and then scoop out all that flesh. Some people use a blender or a food processor to pulverize all that flesh to make it smooth for their pies, or you can always just scoop it out and mash it with a potato masher. Some people peel them, cut them into squares and do all that stuff and boil them, and some people like me or John like to roast them in the oven. It makes it a little easier. Either way, it's going to be good. And again, all those directions and both of these recipes at the website TennesseeFarmTable.com. Up next is our friend Fred Sossman from Johnson City, and Fred shares a segment on the Kushaw and a recipe for Kushaw custard. 
Someone once asked me where Appalachian food begins. Of course, the answer is with the Native Americans, who gave us all the gift of corn, beans, and squash, the three sisters. One of those treasured gifts is the Kushaw, the green-striped or sometimes orange-yellow-striped crookneck squash that appears at roadside stands all over our region beginning in September. The word itself, Kushaw, reflects the Native American heritage of the squash. In mountain kitchens, this Indian squash met up with the English tradition of making pies. Talk to most mountain cooks about pumpkin pie, and they'll quickly redirect you to the Kushaw. Appalachian scholar Loyal Jones always said the Kushaw had another advantage over the pumpkin. If you grew pumpkins on a hillside farm, they could roll loose and break your ankle, whereas the Kushaw, with its crooked neck, would catch a hold of something and stay in place. And that's where the best of the Kushaw is to be found, in that crooked neck. This is a recipe for a Kushaw custard, which is actually a pie, you want to peel the kushaw, chop up the flesh, cook it down, and mash it. You'll need about a cup and a half of cooked kushaw. Mix that with two eggs, two tablespoons of flour, one-fourth teaspoon of ground nutmeg, one-half teaspoon of ground cinnamon, one-half cup of white sugar, and one cup of milk. Place the mixture in an unbaked pie shell and bake it at 350 degrees for one hour or until a knife inserted in the center of the pie comes out clean. For the Tennessee Farm Table, with gratitude to our Native American ancestors for the Kushaw, I'm Fred Saussman. If people don't know who Glenn Roberts is, how would you describe his work and how, what that man is like and what he does? Glenn Roberts is a phenomenal individual. I visited his mill down at Anson Mills in Columbia, South Carolina, and I think he has 80 freezers, large ones, chest freezers, filled with corn, all types of grains. He's constantly working with endangered rice varieties. It's just about anything you can name, and he was instrumental in bringing back the Carolina gold rice, which was thought to be lost as well. So he is a very, very, very fascinating, knowledgeable individual. One lady described it best to me. You know, I've found this to be true myself. With Glenn talking to him, so much information comes flowing out. I'm good at taking notes, but my hands like I've got the shakes. I can't even keep up with it. But this lady said it best. She said, uh, trying to absorb knowledge from Glenn Roberts is like trying to drink out of a fire hose turned on full blast. And I love how you and he like to swap some jokes. Oh, gosh, yeah, nonstop. Don't you have fun when you're with Glenn? Well, a little wine doesn't hurt either. <laughs> There's a lot of wisdom in one of those bottles of wine. <laughs> oh, there's yet another good little nugget, John.
Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website, TennesseeFarmTable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories. Big thanks to Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee, for the musical arrangement and singing and recording of our theme song. For updated appearances, schedule, news, and her new recording, connect with Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production. Timers would say when they say when they bid each other adieu. Yeah, I hope you well. I hope you well too, John. Until we meet again, that's going to be soon. Good deal.